am just so grateful to be here in San Angelo. And listen, like, I don't know if San Angelo is like a destination city. I'm not really sure. I've never been here before in my life. First time ever in San Angelo. So it may not be a destination city, but can I just say something? This is a destination church. And I believe that people from all over the world will come to see what God is doing right here. Not for San Angelo's sake, but for Celebration Church's sake. What God's doing here is nothing short of a move of God. What you're sitting in right now is an anomaly. This is not happening anywhere else. This is straight up a move of God. You need to understand that. Listen, it was said of Jesus' hometown. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How about the Savior of the world? Can anything good come out of San Angelo? How about the next greatest move of God this world has ever seen? Come on, somebody. And that's what we're sitting in right now. That's what we're sitting in right now. Hey, listen, I have a word that I've been praying and I've been prepping for, and I'm so excited to jump in. Anybody ready for the word? Come on, do we got any, like, Bible junkies in the room? Come on, you love the Bible? You love the Scripture? Come on, let's go to Nehemiah chapter number 6. I'm going Old Testament tonight. You know it's about to get, it's about to go down when we're going Old Testament. So Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to be in verse 1, right up the bat to verse 9. If you uh, have your Bible version app, you can open the app and read along with me. I believe it will be on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse number 1. It says this. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, hey, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim. I'm just doing my best on that, all right? Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. Like, I want to insert a dad joke right there, but I am resisting, okay? In the plain of, oh, no. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, to them saying, listen to this, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I'm going to emphasize that. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you. Hey, I'm going to hop, skip, and jump over to verse 7. So go to verse 7 with me. And it says, and you have also, this is a threat and a lie from these enemies of Nehemiah. It says, um, and you also have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. They're making up a lie. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, No such thing as you have said has been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, where does he turn his attention to? He says, now, O God, strengthen my hands. Hey, let's jump over to verse 15 and 16 for just a second. It says this, so the wall was finished. Nehemiah did not succumb to the temptation to go meet these suckers in the plain of Ono. He, he, he resisted that invitation, and here's the result. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, 
all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. Check this out. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Listen to this. The same enemies that were ridiculing and jeering at and making fun of these, this little remnant in Israel trying to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem. They're coming against them. They're opposing them. And yet, they're trying to instill fear in, inside of these Israelites. Yet, when they finish the work, when they finish the wall, the same enemies that were trying to strike fear into the Israelites were the same enemies that now were filled with fear because when they saw the work that was done, they didn't just see the work, they saw God. And I just have come to say over your life, when people look at your life, I don't want them to just see you. I want them to see the God that lives on the inside of you. I want them, when they see Celebration Church and Celebration Young Adults, you know what the greatest compliment would be to your pastors? Not that, hey, that was a great experience. Hey, that worship was pretty good. Hey, that word was good. No, the greatest compliment that anyone could ever get in any ministry is when I went, I experienced Jesus Christ. I experienced the God of heaven. I met with God and I encountered him. That's the greatest thing that could be said when people see celebration. Young adults, they're going to see, I saw God. God must be doing something. God is up to something in that neighborhood. God is up to something in that person's life. God is up to something in that church because in their own strength, they would not be able to do what they're doing. You know what's interesting about this story? It tells us that they finished this wall in 52 freaking days. I know I can say freaking because I hear Keenan say that all the time. <laughs> now I can say that at my church. He said, yeah, hey, feel, feel at home. So, okay, I'm, I'm at home, all right? I'm at home. They built this wall in 52 days. You know what? This was average, ordinary, everyday people that God called to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Average people who were not trained nor were they skilled in the, 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 the craftsmanship and the construction that it would take to build this wall. Yet what God did with average people in 52 days might have taken professionals years can I just say when God is when the wind of God is on your back when you have the favor of God on your life and you are walking in your calling God will do in days what would take you to do decades if you were trying to do it in your own strength and I'm sensing that's the anointing that's in this room and over this ministry that God will do in days what would take others decades Listen, I want to stop and I want to pray. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I'm already preaching, all right? I'm in a room full of preachers, so I just got to, let me stop. Let me taper it back and let me pray. And I believe God has a word for you tonight. Father God, would you just move in our midst? Get me out of the way. Would you come and do what you do best, which is change lives, transform people through the power of your word? Lord, we submit ourselves to this word right now. We ask that you would do something miraculous. We ask that you would meet us in this, this space. We ask that those who are far off and distant would come close and know you and encounter the love and the grace of Jesus tonight. Lord, do what you do in this place. We give you the full permission to do that in the name above all names we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, someone shout amen. amen. Come on, y'all ready? Yeah. I remember a few years back, I was driving with, 
one of my leaders who was a great friend of mine, we were driving in a car and we were going toward Main Street, going back to the church. And we were driving and as we were driving, I was, um, you could say, invested in a conversation. And I'm the kind of guy, the way I'm hardwired, if I'm having a conversation, I am like deeply invested into that conversation. Like there's nothing else going around in that moment. I am fully engaged in that conversation. And so we are talking in the car and we're driving and I'm in the driver's seat and my guy's in the passenger seat and we're talking and we're having a good conversation. And, 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 and like I am, as the pastor of his life, I am investing all that I have in him. I am pouring it out over him. I am giving him incredible theological insights and biblical nuances that he absolutely needs for his life to be able to thrive. And I am pouring it out to him. And his whole life is about to change with this one conversation I'm having with him in the car. If you, I hope you know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm joking right now. Like, so I'm talking with him and, 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 and he, he rudely interrupts me. And I see his face. He looks at me and he goes, bro. I'm like, how dare you interrupt me like that? Who do you think you are? I am your pastor. And he's like, bro, do you know what you just did? And I'm like, what do you mean? What did I do? What do you mean? I am articulating and pontificating to you things that you need. What are you talking about what I just did? He's like, do you, you don't really know what you just did, did you? I was like, what happened? He's like, you just freaking blew through that red light and you had no idea. I had driven right through a red light had no clue because I was distracted by this conversation that I was having with this guy. Hey, you know what? Like, distractions can be dangerous. And I am not here. I didn't come from Massachusetts to, to talk about, like, vehicular safety protocols. <laughs> I have come to say that distractions can be dangerous to the call of God on your life. Woo! Distractions can be dangerous to the call of God on your life. And this is exactly what's happening within the context of the book of Nehemiah in chapter 6. Nehemiah is doing a great work. To give you some idea of what's happening, Nehemiah has been called by God to leave his city of Persia. He was a Jew by birth, but he was living in Persia. He was serving directly under the king in relationship with the king. And he had permission to go back to Jerusalem to restore it, to rebuild it. To, to bring structure, to, to, to build the wall around Jerusalem. And this is what Nehemiah is doing, and he's in this moment, and he has this opposition in chapter 4, and we see it again here in chapter 6. We see this opposition where these neighboring enemies are coming against him. They're making fun of the work. They're like dropping stuff like, yo, if, if a fox jumped in the wall, that thing would tumble down. This is, this is whack, man. This is weak. What the heck do you think you're doing? And they're making fun of it, and they're jeering at them, and they're ridiculing them, and they're scrutinizing, scrutinizing what they're doing. And yet Nehemiah has this invitation in this moment that we just read from these three guys. They're enemies, and they say, hey, why don't you come meet with us in this plane and like, hey, get, put, take a break and just come down to do, just have a, a meeting with us for just a moment. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah responds with these words. And this is the crux of where we're going tonight. So I hope that you receive these words. He says this, the work that I'm doing is too great. I cannot come down to you. In fact, the title of this sermon is, I cannot come down. I cannot come down because what I'm doing is too great. And what God's put in my life is too great 
I cannot come down to you. Can I just remind everyone in this room something really maybe simple, but maybe you've never heard this in your life. There's a call on your life. God has, God knew you before you were born. He set you apart with a specific purpose and a specific call that he placed on your life. You are not here by accident. You are not here by happenstance. You exist and you live and you breathe because God put you on the earth to do something great for his kingdom. You have a call on your life. And for a lot of people in this room, this is what I sense, for a lot of people in this room, you've been sitting on the sidelines of the call on your life for a long time. You've been sitting off to the side and taking the stance of observation as you look and peer at all the people who are doing what they were born to do, yet you sit idly by viewing other people doing what they were called to do. But can I just call you off the sidelines tonight and say that there's a call on your life and God did not create you to be sitting in observation, but he called you to bring you to participation into what God is doing in the kingdom of God in this hour, in this moment, in this day. So get off the sidelines, young adults, and step into what God has for you. Listen, if you're like, how do I even start? Where, does that, where do I even begin with this whole thing? How about you get on the serve team right here at YA? You can start right there. How about you start getting invested and committed and involved with what God's doing in this local church right here? Hello, somebody. Get off the sidelines with the call of God in your life and step into what, what he has for you. And when you realize that what God's called you to is so great, you will be able to say the same thing that Nehemiah said when an invitation to be distracted comes your way. This is too great. I cannot come down to you. I cannot come down to your level. This essentially is why Nehemiah had this resolve in this confidence to what he's doing because he knew that the work that God called him to was so great. Can I just say, like, there's no record before this moment, before chapter 4 of Nehemiah, there's no record of any opposition. There's no record in the scripture of anything happening like people like trying to come in and attack the Jewish nation. There's a small remnant there. There's no record of it. In fact, about 140 years before this moment that we're reading about, there's a remnant of Jewish people that go back to live in Jerusalem. And what they do is they, they rebuild the temple, but they stopped at rebuilding the temple. They never rebuilt anything else. So they were just laid bare, like for any enemy to come in and and do whatever they want, to have a heyday with the people of Israel. And 140 years go by and nothing is done with the walls, nothing is done with the city, and nothing is happening in Jerusalem. There's no record of any army that is working against them coming in with resistance and opposition and hostility at all for 140 years. The one moment where Nehemiah says, you know what? I'm not going to allow my city, I'm not going to allow that place to sit in ruins and rubble. I'm going to do something about it. So he leaves Persia, the comfort of his career. He leaves the comfort of Persia to go back to a place that's sitting in ruin and rubble so that he can partake in building something around, building the walls and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. 
Can I just say, ask you a question? Are you going to allow your city to sit in ruin and rubble? Or are you going to get involved with what God has for you right here in San Angelo? And so Nehemiah does something about it, and he responds to this call to go to, per, to, go to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding this place. And you know what's so interesting? Is in that moment, in that moment is when opposition, resistance, and distraction started to set in. Isn't it interesting that so often we think that when we face temptation and we face resistance and we face like spiritual attack, it's because we're doing something wrong. It's because, man, God must be against me now. A young man recently came up to me in our ministry and he was like so confused and so shocked as to why there was so much like resistance in his life after, right after he started pursuing Jesus and the call on his life. He was like, what in the world, Pastor Caleb, is happening? Like, I feel like I'm more tempted than ever. I feel like there's a spiritual attack against me. I feel like there's resistance working against me. What in the world is happening? I said, oh, my gosh. All this means is that you're actually pursuing the call of God in your life and stepping into a greater place of spiritual maturity. And because of that, the enemy now looks at you as a threat. So it's actually a sign that you're doing something great, not that you're doing something wrong. You know what? The enemy only intimidates those who he's intimidated by. The enemy only threatens those he's threatened by. So can I wake you up and tell you tonight that if there's, a, if there's opposition and resistance to your life, it's most likely because the enemy is threatened by what God has on your life. It means that there's something on you that hell doesn't like. It means that hell is about to lose something because you're stepping out and into something great. What I'm doing is too great. I cannot come down to you. When there's movement toward God, there's always, it's always going to follow up by resistance. You know what's amazing, though, is God is a, is a motion-censored God. Like, like, I remember in our church building when we redid all the lights in the, uh, in the bathrooms, and I was so accustomed to walking to the bathroom and flipping the switch, and then the light would be on. But when we got the motion-censored lights, I would just walk in, and boom, it would turn on. I would look for the switch. The switch ain't there. The light would go on in the second that I made a movement. Can I just say the second that you take one step in the direction of God, he takes 99 towards you. One step in the direction of God, and he takes 99 towards you. And although you have resistance in your life, and maybe some of you are facing that right now, can I just say that you have everything you need? Because you have the grace and the favor and the blessing and the affirmation and the validation of God himself. So although there's resistance... Look no further than God because you have all that you need to overcome that resistance because the call is too great to be distracted. In fact, I have, I have three, three ideas that I want to just submit to you for your consideration tonight. And the first one, the call of God is too great. When we really know the call of God is too, too great, it's too great. The first thing we understand is that it's too great to be distracted. Or it's too great, the call on her life is too great to stay in a place of distraction. They wanted Nehemiah off the wall so bad. They wanted Nehemiah off the wall because if they could get him off the wall, then they can most likely stop the work from being finished. And so what they do is offer him distraction. Hey, come meet with us. Hey, come spend time with us. 
Most likely what we know in history and scholars assume is that they were most likely going to assassinate him because they were so threatened and intimidated by what was happening in Jerusalem at this moment. So, hey, come and meet with us. And Nehemiah's response is, I can't be, the call on my life is too great. I cannot be distracted. I cannot come down to your distractions. You know what's interesting is I feel like this generation is most likely the most distraction-prone generation that has ever existed in all of humanity. I mean, in the, with the rise of the technological age and the digital age that we live in, we have the internet, we have email, we have social media, we have all information that we would ever need that fits in one device in the palm of our hand at all times. So we are some of the most distracted people that, has, that have ever existed in the history of humanity. And when the, enemy, the enemy's first attack is to move in to try and distract you from what matters most. Um, y'all have like Sam's, oh, Sam's Club? What is it, Sam's? Costco or something like that? And it's interesting, I remember being at the mall and, and, and we, would, we would be walking past this specific restaurant in the, in the food court and what, what y'all have, Sam's, is my saying it right? Yeah. Sam's, what Sam's has <laughs> and what I have back home is, is these things called free samples. So you walk by and, and all you, you see this. Free sample, free sample. And it doesn't matter if you just ate a full meal. You walk over to the free sample and you take that thing. And you better believe I'm eating that free sample. What is it? We can't resist the free sample. And, and can I just say that that restaurant or whatever Sam's is doing, whatever Costco is doing, or a restaurant in a food court, that, that isn't just to offer you a free meal. Like that's not just to offer you free food so that you can have a great day. It's a, it's a whole marketing strategy behind the free sample. The whole idea is that you would go over to the free sample, taste it, enjoy it, and then walk over to the counter of the restaurant and pay the full price for a meal that you never intended to pay for in the first place. Can I just say this? There is a cost to living in distraction. The, there's a price to, to compromise. And I just want to say this. The call of God on your life is too great for you to remain in distraction. For you to stay in a place of distraction. Listen, I don't know what it is for you. There's so many things that distract us. You, you, could, you could be living in distraction with your relationship that you know that you're not supposed to be in because God had not ordained that relationship, but you're living in distraction because you enjoy what it does for you. Or you're living in distraction with that addiction and that self-medication that you run to all the time. Every time you feel any kind of pain, you go back to that place of distraction because that distraction just feels good for a moment and it takes your eyes and, and your mind off of that pain for just a second or just an hour or just a couple hours. So you go back to that place of distraction thinking in it, maybe I'll find fulfillment and only spits you out completely empty on the other side of that distraction. 
I don't know what your distraction is. Maybe it's actually a thought life and thought patterns that come to your mind implanted by the enemy himself thinking this, I'll never actually be qualified enough for God to use me. So ministry is just reserved for the people on the platforms with the microphones on the podiums and in the stages who can preach really well, articulate really well. Ministry is really for those people, but I'll never actually be qualified to do something like that or actually lead someone to Jesus or actually make a disciple or actually step into anything that, 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 that impacts the kingdom of God and moves it forward because I am disqualified. Can I just say that disqualifying, disqualifying thought is actually a distraction from the enemy? And I've come from Massachusetts all the way to St. Angelo to say it's time that we get free from distractions from what's what matters the most on our lives. It's time to uproot some of those distractions tonight. Yeah, come, on. come on, we don't need to like wait another two months, three months, three years. We can uproot those distractions tonight because the call of God is too great for me to come down to distraction. It's too great. And I just want to remind you you could actually live your whole life in a place of distraction. But that's not what God called, has called you to do. What's on you is too great. It's too significant. It matters too much to the world for you to stay in that place. Because it's too great, I cannot come down to distraction. I cannot be distracted. Hey, the second thought is this. The call of God is too great for me to be dominated. It's too great for me to be dominated. Nehemiah chapter six, I had skipped over these verses, but I think it's pertinent and important to go back to them in this moment. Nehemiah chapter six, verse seven and eight, it says, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you have said have been done for you're inventing them out of your own mind. So what the enemy moves to is now because Nehemiah rejected their invitation, he moves to the place of threatening him. And if this doesn't look like a threat in first glance, it's a threat. Because what they're saying is, hey, the king has heard about what you're trying to do. The king has, and they, they straight up made up a lie. They straight up made up a lie out of nowhere. And they said, you're, you're sending prophets around and telling people that, hey, you're the king of Jerusalem. And this was a threat because if the king of Persia heard of this, that meant war. But Nehemiah knew something, that this was a lie. This was straight up a lie, so he responds accordingly. He's like, hey, that's, that's literally just a lie. And before I get carried away, this is what the enemy tries to do with us. If he can't get us to be distracted, he moves to try to dominate and intimidate and threaten to try to, to get us into a place of fear. And when I say fear, also a place of paralysis so that there's no mobility and we're not moving anywhere or doing anything. You know what the enemy would love to keep you in a place of stagnant, stagnation? That's a word. He'd love to keep you in a place of just being stagnant and not moving and not moving forward, but just staying right where you are. No growth, no nothing. He would love to keep you right there. He'd love to keep you in a place of just 
I ain't, move, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not serving the call of God in my life, but I'm, maybe I'm not going backward, but I'm not going forward. He would love that. He tries to come in and dominate you with lies and threats and accusations. The enemy's attempt is to intimidate and dominate by these lies and threats. Can I just say this, though? You're only, you, the only power the enemy has over you is the power that you give him. That's the only power that the enemy has over you. The only authority the enemy will ever have of you is when you actually believe the lie that he's given you. When you make, let me say it like this, accommodations. When you make room for that lie to exist in your heart and in your mind is when that actually has power over you to dominate you and to rule your life. That's the only time the enemy would ever have any kind of power over you. Recently, my car was, this is nasty, but recently my car, I, I opened up the door and I looked in the back seat and there was a freaking hole in the insulation in the seat of my car. And I'm like, and the insulation is spread out over, all over the place and I'm like, what in the world is going on in my car? So I went to Google, because that's what we all do. I'm like, why is there a hole randomly in the back of my car? Why does it look like my insulation was chewed up and spit out in the back seat? So I looked it up, and apparently out of, one out of every 10 cars, mice or squirrels break into. My car was broken into <laughs> by a freaking squirrel or a mouse. Can I be honest with you? I felt violated. I felt violated. Like, what in the world is going on? Apparently, it's more common than I ever thought. This has never happened to me. But I, you know what I did? In response to this break-in, I opened every door of my car. I looked under every seat. I opened the hood, looked in the engine, took some things apart that I, listen, I am the farthest thing away from a mechanic, but I was taking parts off and looking in through air filters and air boxes and vents, and I was taking the seats off, looking under the seats, looking under the floorboards, looking everywhere for this thing, this thing that had broken into my car. And, and thank God, I actually had hired a, a person to come to my house and to detail my car. I wanted to make sure that there was no mouse in my car. And, and, and it's interesting that, I say, that I'm talking about this because why would we ever make accommodations for something that does not, that should not ever be in that space? Come on. Come on. Like imagine with me for a second if I just like had, knew there was a mouse in my car. By the way, there was like, it had like apparently not enjoyed what it saw and then left. <laughs> so first of all, it broke into my car and then it didn't like my car enough, so it left. Double violated. <laughs> Imagine with me for a second. I had like left crumbs all over the seat. Like I had left like food out of my car. I had like given this thing like shelter. Imagine if I made a nest for this mouse. Like I like curated a nest for this mouse to live in my car. That would be insane. Why would that be insane? It would be crazy of me to do that because why would I check something in that needs to be evicted? Can I just say, why are we making space and making room and making accommodations for the lies of the enemy for two seconds? Why would we ever make room 
for the lies and the threats of the enemy to swirl around in our mind. Don't check something in that needs to be evicted. Listen, God has not called you to be dominated by these lies. The lie that you'll never be good enough. You'll never amount to anything. The lie that the, the, the past of your, the trauma in your life will always keep you in a place of shame and condemnation. You'll never actually grow out of it. Whatever lie is swirling in your mind, why are we allowing that and making accommodations for something that should never be in that space? I have come to just say, stop making accommodations. Stop making accommodations for that lie. You know, there's only really one way that I know that we can evict the enemy's lies from our minds. There's one way. is when we open up our mouth and we start to praise God and we start to pray and we start to read scripture and know scripture and know God according to his word, when we pursue Jesus and we start to vocalize these things, can I just say this? The enemy cannot talk over you. You ever been in school and like the teacher, it's like, I'll wait. Y'all don't talk about, like, you're talking to your friend, I'll, I'll wait. It's like, Oh, great, thanks. Thanks so much for allowing, that's awesome. Hey, so anyway, I was talking to you the other day, and it's like, what? Why do teachers say those things? Like, it makes no sense to me. I'll wait. Listen, I am, listen, the enemy cannot talk over you. The minute that you call upon the name of Jesus, he cannot talk over you. The minute that you let yourself loose with some praise and let yourself loose with some worship, the enemy cannot speak over you. He has to sit and he has to wait. He cannot talk over you. If you want to break the back of these lies, then start to praise God. Can I just say something? I am not like a super expert Christian. Like, I am not the most pious, like, professional person. Can I just be honest? Like, I know some things, and I know some theology, but I am not, like, a doctrine in theology, okay? But can I just tell you something that I have learned in my life? I have learned how to praise God no matter what is going on around me. In any circumstance... Through hell or high water, you will find me praising God and giving glory to the name of Jesus. And every single time you open your mouth to give God some praise, the enemy has to shut his mouth because he cannot talk over you. If you would be committed to learning how to praise, to learning how to pray, to learning how to read scripture and to, listen, the scripture is where we find out who we are. I love that portion of scripture in Matthew where Peter, like, identifies who Jesus is. And he's like, hey, you are the son of God, the Christ who is to come into the world to save the world. You are the son of God. And what does Jesus do? He responds and he says this, and you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Peter confessed who Jesus was, Jesus looked in turn to Peter and said, this is who you are. When you look at the word of God and you see Jesus for who he really is, Jesus then looks at you and said, this is who you are. And no lie can steal that from you. And no intimidation can take that from you. And the enemy cannot dominate you because this is who I've called you to be. You're a child of God. You're a daughter of the living God. You're a son of God. And no one can take that from you. And no one can steal that from you. Because the call is too great 
to be dominated by the lies and the accusations and the threats of the enemy. And thirdly is this. The call is too great. Come on, some, someone shout back at me. The call is too great. The call is too great. The call on your life is too great, ready, to be divided. To be divided. Can I just say, like, I, shameless plug for a second, what God's doing here at Celebration Young Adults is so amazing. You want to know why it's so amazing? Because there's a unity in this house. In fact, I was here last night while the team was praying and getting ready for this moment tonight, this event tonight. And you know what I saw, Pastor Keenan and Pastor Beth? I saw unity in this room. They were praying for you. They were getting ready for you. They were working hard. They were working as one. And you know what the enemy would love and the enemy has a heyday in in churches and in spaces just like this is when the church starts to get divided. When the church starts to forget about what it means to be one body in Jesus Christ and we start gossiping and we start slandering the leaders of the house we start slandering one another we start we start backstabbing we start holding grudges we start getting bitter the enemy has a heyday when we are divided the only reason why Nehemiah in all of Israel was able to rebuild these walls around Jerusalem was one thing they did it together they had a unity and a harmony in a oneness to what they were building. And because they had a unity, they were able to accomplish in 52 days what would have taken years. You know, God, the Bible tells God commands a blessing where there's unity. And the enemy would love for this church, for this space, for you and in this community to be divided, to be backstabbing toward one another, to hold grudges and be bitter and jaded and cynical toward each other, to be skeptical of one another. Listen, that's not what God's called us to. The way that we build something and the way that we build something significant is to do it together as a team, as a family, as one. That's what's so important on this house and for your life is that you would know that God's called you to be one. Listen, you know what's so, like, I feel like this generation, if I could just go there for a second, if we love to just go from church to 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 church. Oh, that church has great worship. I'll go there that Sunday. Oh, that guy, he can, he can preach pretty well. I'll go over there. And we go from church to church, to, and we've developed terms for these things, like church shopping and church hopping and church bouncing. And Can I just say there's something incredible that happens when you plant yourself and root yourself into one community, into one place for the long haul. That's how God, that's how you're going to build this movement is you're committed to this thing. No matter what happens, I'm going to get committed. No matter if I get a little bit hurt or offended by someone, we're going to work it out and talk it through, but I'm committed to this house. And I'm committed to what God's doing here. Not because people are perfect, but because the call is too great to be divided. My brother Seth and I just recently, like this past summer, uh, what we used to do years ago when we were teenagers is we would do this thing called body boxing. Y'all ever heard of that, body boxing? It's basically this. You would, it's just bare knuckle boxing, and you would box each other like neck, like waist up and neck down. So just, just the body, okay? So we would do this, me, Ben, and I'm a triplet if y'all didn't know that. Like I, there's three of me. We don't look anything alike or act anything. I'm the best looking, and I'm the most successful, obviously. But, um, and they would tell you the same thing. But like, so we grew up and we just like, we, we were always, we were wrestling, we were fighting, WrestleMania, shout out to that. And we were like, we, we were fighting and stuff like consistently and 
And, but we would practice on each other. We would do body boxing. So we would just like be like duking it out and, and, and boxing each other. And, and I remember this one moment just this past summer, Seth was like, yo, remember when we used to body box? I'm like, yes. He's like, Caleb, you want to body box right now? I'm like, of course I do. So we literally went outside. Let's take this outside. We went outside, and we started body boxing each other. We're just like throwing jabs and just like, like, like we're going at it. We're going at it. And, and, and there was this one moment, and because he has ridiculously long arms, and I have short arms, okay? I'm kind of short. I'm five, eight and a half, all right? What, what about it, you know? What about it? <laughs> and because I'm short, I got to get in. I got to get inside, and so... There was this one moment when I, I threw a, I think it was like a right uppercut. And, and I threw this right uppercut and I by accidentally went above the neck and I hit him in the chin. Hit him in the chin and he's like kind of bounces back. He's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, sh- what happened, bro? Like, what, what, what's, what's good? He's like, man. He's like, dude, I think you chipped a tooth. I think, and like we went and looked at it. This dude chipped a tooth. Like, for real. Like, it was chipped and... I felt horrible. I mean, I don't know if I did, honestly. I kind of was a little bit impressed with myself. I'm like, I still got it, you know, but don't tell him I said that, all right? I still got it. You know, the Lord forgave me. Actually, I think he looked down and he's like, hey, well done. My good and faithful servant. That was a good shot. I'm proud of you. You know, the reality of this is like, as ridiculous as that illustration is, you know, one finger. If I had taken one finger and hit him across the face, there would be no damage. There would be no power. If I took two fingers, did the same thing, there would be no power to that. If I took even like an open palm and just smacked him, he might have been hurt, but it wouldn't have been the same damage. But because I took all five of my fingers and I clenched them together and I made a fist, I took all five of my fingers and made one fist. That is what brought the power to that punch. Can I just say, when you are disassembled and you have, you're over there and another person's over there and there's no unity and there's no connection and there's no commitment to one another, can I just say that you, you might be good by yourself, but can I just say, when you get connected to a body, that's when it does some damage to the devil. That's when it does some damage to his kingdom. That's when a real move of God starts to erupt in San Angelo as it is in heaven. Come on, somebody, get united in and get connected and get committed to what God's doing right here in San Angelo. Because you might be gifted all by yourself, but can I just tell you the second that you start getting connected and united with a body, that's when it all, oh, that's when something really powerful happens. That's when something really powerful, powerful starts to happen. Because the call of God is too great, I will not be distracted. I will not be dominated. And I will not be divided. I think about the resolve in Nehemiah's voice when I hear this statement. I cannot come down. I cannot come down. Even in the midst of lies and accusations and threats, I cannot come down. Where does he get this resolve and this confidence from? Even in the midst of this lie, like, hey, like, If the king hears about what you've been prophesying, what he really wasn't, the king hears about this, man, it's going to be war. 
Can I, like, where did he get this confidence from? Where did he get this resolve from? It's because two things. He knew the truth, but he also knew the king. He knew the truth, but he knew the king. He had a personal relationship with the king. I'm talking about the king of Persia, but for you, I'm talking about, do you know Jesus? Do you know King Jesus? Because when you actually know him, it, then when you know him, you know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. When you know Jesus, you actually know the truth. And so that way you can filter through any stinking lie of the enemy. And it will have no power or say over you because you know the truth and you know the king. I cannot come down. I'm reminded of the moment thousands of years later. You know, we make the scripture so often about, about us. We read the scripture through this hermeneutical lens that makes it about us. Like we, we read the story of David and Goliath and we insert ourselves as David, the hero, the savior of all of Israel. Isn't that funny? Because the story isn't about you. The story of David and Goliath is actually about Jesus defeating death, hell, and the grave forever for you. You were actually the cowering Israelite afraid to face Goliath when Jesus showed up in the scene. And, and in this scripture, we see David defeating Goliath. And can I just say this book of Nehemiah and this character named Nehemiah is actually just pointing us to the person of Jesus. It's not just a leadership book. It's not just a principal book. The whole book, the entire Bible is about one man and one name. His name is Jesus. So when we look at Nehemiah, we don't just see Nehemiah. We see Nehemiah pointing to the true and greater Jesus. And I'm reminded of this moment in Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, where Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's nailed into a piece of wood. He's being beaten and bloodied and tortured. And he's doing all of this because he simply loves you and I. And as he's hanging on this cross, there's a man on the other cross next to him and he says, if you really are the son of God. And people are saying, if you really are the son of God, come down from that cross. If you're, if you're the son of God, then you must be capable and powerful enough to get yourself off that cross. You look, you look pathetic on that cross. You're trying to tell me you have the power of God and you're the savior of the world, yet you look crazy hanging up on that cross. You look like you just lost something. And the cross of Jesus Christ demands a double take. Because at first glance, it looks like a loss. At first glance, we look at the cross, it looks like total defeat. At first glance, it looks like Jesus is being dominated by his enemies and by those who hate him. But it demands a double take because we look again and we don't see Jesus losing. We don't see him being dominated. In fact, we see Jesus showing the world the greatest display of love and of victory the world has ever seen because as he hung on that cross, he was capable of coming down. But because, hear me, because the work that he was called to was so great. I believe he uttered the same words that Nehemiah uttered thousands of years before. I cannot come down 
from this cross because this work I'm doing is going to save the entire world if they would put their faith in me. This work I'm doing is going to be the transformation of people's souls. This work I'm doing is going to take people out of hell and get them into heaven. This work I'm doing is going to provide the new life that this world desperately needs. I cannot come down from this cross. I want to tell you the, the, same, the same illustration I actually opened this message with. Because I had my guy in the passenger seat and I was driving and where I was distracted with our conversation, I actually drove through a red light. But can I just kind of take it a step further and flip the illustration? Because I enjoyed so much who I was with, I actually didn't stop at the things that I was accustomed to stop at. So the thing that you used to stop at, that pornography you used to be drawn to and watch, that relationship you felt like you needed, that, that, that thing that you used to be distracted by, that, that substance you used to feel like you had to go to, you actually, are not a, you actually don't stop at those things anymore because you're simply enjoying who you're with now. Can I just say all of Christianity and all of faith isn't a rule book about this is what you have to do, but it's about who you get to be with, and his name is Jesus. You get to be with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do that. Oh, you definitely can't do that anymore. You can't say those things. You have to look like this, dress like this, be a part of this. That's not what faith is all about. You know what faith is all about? It's about knowing Jesus for who he really is and walking with him. And so the things that have, used to have a hold on you no longer have that same hold because you're simply amazed and enamored and astounded by who Jesus really is to your soul. When's the last time you've been amazed? When's the last time you've been astounded by who Jesus is? Because that's the essence of our faith. And when we're astounded by him, the allure and the enticement of sin no longer has the luster it used to have because we're so filled with amazement at who Jesus is. And I feel like the, the, the chains and shackles of distraction and sin and the cycles that you've been living through are ending tonight. Ending tonight. Because there's freedom in this atmosphere. There's freedom in this atmosphere right now. In fact, we gotta do something before we go any further. I wanna invite anybody in this room, if you have not yet submitted your life to Jesus, if you have not yet given your all to him and said, yes, I receive your, your gift of grace, the sacrifice that you made for me to know you, that this incredible gift, I receive it now for the first time in my life. If you're in this room, I wanna invite you to believe in Jesus. And it's the most amazing thing that could ever happen to your life. He will give you new life. He will change everything. Maybe you've been distracted and drifting for a long time. I'm going to invite you to come back to Jesus. You know what's amazing about Jesus? Is he simply gives us an invitation over and over and over again to come back to him. There's always an invitation at the table where Jesus is. So maybe you have to come back. If that's you, if we could bow our heads, if we could close our eyes in this moment, it's kind of a sacred moment. If that's you, and I'm describing you, 
if you could just lift your hand if you're saying, yes, I want Jesus. I want to come back to Jesus. I need him in my life. I need him in my life. If that's you, could you just lift your hand right in this moment, wherever you are. Beautiful. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Incredible. I see that hand over there. Anybody else, just lift your hand. I see those hands over there. Amazing. Come on, in the back, I see you. I see you. I see you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You can go ahead and put your hand down. Listen, I just want to pray with you, and I'm going to ask that everybody in this room praise this same prayer with me. Go ahead and let's declare together. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. You took my sin upon your shoulders, and you gave me your all. So in this moment, I give my all to you. I believe in you. You are my Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come on, Celebration YA. Can you give a shout of praise to God? So many hands, y'all. So many hands. Amazing. 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 Listen, in just a moment, we're about to invite people that need prayer. We're going to have, we have prayer partners who are going to come up. In fact, you can come up if that's you right now. We have people who are ready to pray with you. And right before we get into this, I just, um, I felt there was some prophetic things that the Lord had spoke to me as I prepped and prayed for this moment. I feel like maybe, in fact, is, is, is your dad still here, Pastor Brandon? I, I felt like a, just a, a word for uh, over you and your dad, Keenan, Pastor Brandon. Um, I felt the word so strong as I was praying for this, this moment. Um, I can give that in a second. I felt like there was someone specifically. Oh, is that Pastor Brandon? Amazing. I just felt like this as I was praying, and even last night as we were praying together, something so strong uh, over Pastor Keenan, Beth, Pastor Brandon, Krista. I just felt like this over your house, over this church, that there's a season where there's a mantle and an anointing of breakthrough that's in this house and over this church. And you've seen breakthrough. You've seen some incredible things that have taken place over the years as after you've planted this church. But I just felt so strong as I prayed, I couldn't shake it, that there's a mantle. Like there's something coming over this place, a covering where so many hundreds and thousands of people will experience breakthrough in this room, literally right in this room. I felt like in your church services and during worship and during preaching moments and during altar calls and during prayer moments, I see the altars filled and I see people like, like literally crying at the altar and encountering Jesus like never before on this church and in this house for both of you in the name of Jesus. I know, listen, something profound is about to happen in the life of this church. Second thing is I felt like maybe there's someone in this room where you have had a traumatic experience in your childhood. Maybe there was, I felt like maybe God showed me there was some physical and sexual abuse that took place in your life as, a, as just a kid, an innocent kid. That innocence was robbed from you from 
at such a young age. And I know that's kind of heavy, but I just felt like this is what the Lord was saying, that tonight, after years of dealing with pain and shame and condemnation and the guilt that you've carried because of those moments that took place in your life, all of that is being canceled. And there's freedom in this room for you tonight. There's freedom from that brokenness. There's freedom from that pain. There's freedom from that in this room tonight. And if you would be so bold in just a moment as we take, uh, as we invite people to come forward, if, if that's you, like maybe maybe you don't want to come forward right away, that's totally fine. But I know this is a safe place. These people have been trained on how to pray. This is confidential. Anything said or spoken right here is confidential. But if that's you, I just feel like the Lord wants to, wants to break some of those chains off you and give you total freedom in the name of Jesus. Listen, if one last thing, if you're here and, and you've just been going through a season of heaviness, of weariness, maybe it's not just physical exhaustion, but it's spiritual exhaustion. I felt like, um, I felt like there's something special for you here. And this is the word that God gave me over you. If that's you, that, that the word God gave me out of the book of Nehemiah is the joy of the Lord is your strength. That when you have no physical strength, the joy of the Lord will carry you in those moments you have no physical strength. Because of your exhaustion, you hold on to joy. And joy will be your guidance. And joy will be what carries you through these moments in this season. But I just prophesy and speak that over you, whoever you are, in the name of Jesus. Hey, can we stand and can we get ready to worship and just praise God for what he's doing in this moment? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you, God that we will not live in distraction, we will not be dominated by the enemy, and we will not be divided in this house. But God, we will take on the call of God of, on our lives, Lord, and we will not settle for less. We will not sell our calling short, but God, we would step into it in the mighty name of Jesus that the kingdom of God would advance and that there would be heaven in San Angelo in the name of of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody. You can come forward. You can come forward. Come down here for prayer. Come down here for prayer.